After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. So I guess that's it, huh, Josh? It's over? No more? Done? That's, uh, that's it for a while? I'm feeling the withdrawals already. Well, the Stanley Cup playoffs are over, but we do still have some AHL action. So I feel like, well, yeah. the big part's over, Todd. Well, the main event, there's there's still an undercard battle that's still happening. So we we aren't yet without hockey. That is true. So there will be a couple of more games. And it's it's funny that we get to this point in the season and you and I usually have a discussion and we always seem to find a guest here and there and maybe a rule suggestion or a change. But there's always enough news that goes on in the offseason. I guess it's like the rest of the game. Yeah, you know, you'd, you'd think that there really is an offseason, but we fill it and the league fills it. And I know that we've got drafts and players and free agency and the officials for their offseason. They're still training. They might take some time off right now and take a vacation, but there's not much of an offseason for the refs and linesmen either. It's it's a year round business when it comes to training and nutrition and many of them running camps this summer to help develop younger officials. So much like them, it's a year round business. Certainly is. Maybe the odd golf game or golf tournament in there as well and raising some money for charity. A lot of the officials do some good work as well. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast, by the way. Please make sure you're following us on social channels. You will find Josh at Scouting the Refs on both Twitter and Instagram. You'll find me at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram as well. Coming up on this week's episode, please use the exit now. I'd like a word with your supervisor. I guess it's a good goal. No fighting in the queue is official. More hitting in Sweden. And a rule adjustment I would like to see. I am saving that for the end, Josh. I think it's a great idea. It will really spice things up. And it means it has no chance of ever happening. But I think it'll make for some good discussion. Well, I, I can't wait to hear what it is. We don't want to reinvent the game, but there's always an opportunity to maybe make things a little bit better, a little bit more consistent, or exactly whatever it is you have in mind, Todd. Hey, you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, right, whatever I have in mind. <laughs> you mentioned the uh, undercard. We should congratulate the Florida Everblades for winning the Kelly Cup. That's back-to-back -back wins now for the uh, Everblades, and good on them. So defeated Idaho. Another series that's done. But again, there will be lots of off-season things. But congratulations to Florida. Yeah, absolutely. Congrats to them. Congrats to the officials working that one. You know, it's always exciting when you get selected to work the Kelly Cup playoffs or the Kelly Cup finals. And, and you get to have that moment where you know, you're working the most important games in the league. And it's, it's an exciting opportunity for those guys. And some of them we'll see next year in the ECHL. Some of them may be moving up. Maybe we'll see. We've got an opening at the NHL level. So there's no telling how the the deck might be shuffled when it comes to the officials but uh, congratulations to all of them selected to work the finals and alex normandon sam heideman brandon grillo and brady fagan working that final everblades win over idaho 
Okay, let's get back to the final couple of games in the Stanley Cup between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers. Going back a couple of days, Alex Petrangelo was in the penalty box at the end of game four. As the cameras cut, he was next seen as part of a scrum that was kind of, how we shall say, raging all over the ice. There was one particular instigator who was really stirring it up, but I digress. Many fans were quick to point to Alex Petrangelo saying, hey, he came out of the penalty box and got involved in this scrum. Shouldn't that be a 10-game suspension for getting out there and mixing it up? We have seen players get suspended for that previously, but that's not how it works in this case. No, this is not that type of situation. And what the rules really intended to do is to prevent guys from coming out of the box and then re-engaging in an altercation with each other. Let's say you have two guys off for fighting. They serve their time. There's a stoppage in play. They come out of the box and then they, they start back up or engage with a different player. You don't want that to happen. And that's not at all what happened here. It wasn't a guy leaving the bench where he wasn't permitted to. It was a guy getting released from the penalty box by the NHL off-ice official. The penalty box attendant let Petrangelo out. So it's not like he he jumped. It's not like he busted out early or anything like that. He left the box, and then he skated over to the scrum, like you mentioned. And, and scrum is the right word for it because that is not an altercation. When he went over there, he skated in slowly. Like you said, there's all kinds of things going on. And let's keep in mind that the, the Golden Knights are outnumbered at that moment because Florida was on the power play and had pulled the goaltender. So you're looking at a six on four there when it comes to skaters on the ice. He skates over, grabs hold of Barkov. And at that point, we just have scrums. The NHL definition for an altercation is when you have something happening when at least one player is going to take a penalty. And at that moment, when Petrangelo comes in, when he grabs a hold of Barkov, there's nothing happening. There's nothing worth a penalty at that moment. So I'll take the timeline from when he exits the box to when he joins the scrum, and there's nothing that's worth a penalty. So how are you going to give the guy a 10-game suspension for that? And yes, he could have gone right to the bench. He could have left. The game was over. But he didn't enter an altercation at that moment. So I, I can't, by the letter of the law or even the intention of the rule, I can't see how anyone could argue that as a 10-game suspension. I guess looking for any sort of advantage might have been the the opportunity that some were seeking. Um, you, you bring up a good point, too, that he also did not instigate anything. He just kind of skated over, grabbed hold, and was just trying to maintain some sort of balance of power in that, in that scrum that was going on in the ice. He was not instigating anything at all. In fact, he received a couple of pretty good whacks from Matthew Kachuk. Right. Now, so, so if you, if you take that and, and, if we go with that angle, if he comes out of the penalty box, again, he's leaving the box legally. Time has expired. He's released. If he skates directly over there full speed, cross-checks Kachuk and goes after him or drops the gloves on the way in and starts throwing punches, then I think you have more of an argument because now he's leaving the box legally again, but he's heading directly over to start an altercation or to instigate something. That's where I think we'd run into that tough spot of, well, was he leaving the box at the end of the game? Is this considered fighting after the periods or between periods, which is a more harshly dealt with issue when it comes to penalties and suspensions. So had he gone over there, charged, dropped the gloves, started throwing punches at Kachuk and instigating a fight, I think we're looking at a different situation. I think then we are looking at a potential suspension, maybe not the 10 games because of how things unfolded. But I think then uh, that definitely changes things dramatically. And and you're right. He wasn't even menacing. I mean, my gosh. Right. So, <laughs> so the other thing I know is, and, and tell me if you notice this too, is as the scrum is kind of happening, again, the game is over at this point. 
I can't remember which of the referees it was, but at the end of the game, the Vegas Golden Knights are kind of hopping over the boards to get on the ice to congratulate their goaltender and celebrate. And the scrum is kind of happening. Players are pairing up a little bit in the crease area. One of the referees skates in the direction of the Golden Knights bench, kind of puts his arms up and points and says, like, stay right where you are, stay right, right where you are. He was really taking control of that situation, so it didn't escalate. Right, and that's what you want to do. I, I'm going to say it had to be Wes McCauley there. I, I remember Steve Kazari getting right in between Petrangelo and Kachuk, so had to be McCauley just keeping them separated as much as possible because you're right, you don't want things to escalate. And yes, Petrangelo was allowed to be on the ice because he exited the penalty box, but the guys coming off the bench you want them to be able to celebrate, but you don't want them to come in and, and amp up what is already an altercation or, or have a situation where more things are blowing up there. So it's the right thing to do. That's how you want to manage that is to let the scrum disperse, let all the, the, the heat cool off a little bit before the yeah. guys come in and get the Panthers out of the way before any more Golden Knights enter the zone. So the right thing to do and, and way to get in front of that, because certainly had that gotten a, a little more intense, then you're going to see Panthers players coming on. And then once you have guys coming off the bench to join that, there's no way we're avoiding suspensions there and, and not something that you want to see. So everything settled down and everyone went about their separate ways. And then we had game number five, which of course, very much went the Vegas Golden Knights ways and congratulations, they are Stanley Cup champions. The second goal of the game scored by Golden Knights, Nicholas Haig drew a lot of attention, understandably so. The puck is shot. It's laying in the crease in the vicinity of Sergei Bobrovsky, who made an initial save. Haig comes in and shoves the puck into the net. There was no goaltender interference. There was a whistle blown either just as the puck entered the net or just before. And rightfully, I believe that this was ruled continuous play and a goal, and that made it 2 nothing. Am I correct there? I believe that's how everybody saw it, and that was the correct ruling. That was the correct ruling. That's what it looked like. It, it was hard to tell when exactly the whistle blew. Uh, like you said, at some angles, it appeared that the puck was either partially or or almost completely over the line at the time the whistle sounded. But much like with the intent to blow rule, the continuous play rule, which are often at odds here, has some components there where the goal may be allowed. So let's talk about the rule that this is handled by. It's under Rule 37.3 for review by the Situation Room where they say that a puck entering the net as the culmination of a continuous play where the result of play was unaffected by the whistle upon his losing sight of the puck. So if Chris Rooney's coming around the net there, he loses sight of the puck, he goes to blow his whistle, he spots that the puck is not covered and is crossing the line and signals a goal. And he was the one with the whistle. He was also the one with the emphatic goal signal at that moment. So we're looking at a situation where this was a continuous play. Now, had he blown the whistle, and the team stopped playing, or he blows the whistle and an opposing player hits the puck after that, then we can argue that the play was affected by the whistle sounding. But at this point, and the league can take a look at it and see where the puck is and see what's happening at that time, this is ruled a continuous play. So it was good to see the officials come together and talk about it. Obviously, Rooney's coming around behind the net. His view is partially obstructed by the goaltender and the players that are there. But Kelly Sutherland, the high referee, had a better view of what was going on there, and so did the linesmen. So they can discuss it, confirm that the puck was free the whole time. This should have been no whistle and rule it a continuous play. So that's what happened here. But I can see, Todd, that it, it, it is frustrating, especially when we have the opposite side of things, right? We've also had goals that have been scored after the whistle that are then taken back because of intent to blow. So I think it gets to be confusing on the difference because both rules, continuous play and intent to blow, both 
are correct options. It just depends on the situation and the outcome. And that is where my difficulty and confusion come in with this this whole play. I don't think it was a critical game-changing moment that decided the fate of the Florida Panthers. Vegas was winning this game regardless. I mean, they were they were just a better team. So I did not like the manner in which this was handled. In fact, I think it was pretty embarrassing. We saw the officials come together after the play and they had a discussion about it. We saw Kelly Sutherland skate over to go to the bench to offer an explanation to Panthers head coach Paul Maurice, what was going on. But nobody bothered to make an announcement or explain to everyone watching what was going on. This has to happen. I mean, everybody wants to know the rules, but apparently they're secret sometimes. You're not allowed to tell them what they are. Just explain what the ruling is. You're going to have people that disagree. You're going to have people that agree. But at least we understand what the rule is on this play. I don't think that was handled very well at all. No, and uh, compounding it is, and this is not a slight against either broadcast crew, but they don't know what's going on either. So they're trying to tell the story to the viewers at home without any idea of what's being discussed, what the consideration is on this play. You know, is it a continuous play? And, and even the ones who know the rule book, you're not exactly sure what the officials are doing there. So how can you properly explain that to your audience? And you're spot on, Todd, with, with how it was handled and what they need to say. Now, I'm not expecting the officials to announce it before they start discussing it. They don't need to come on the mic and say, here's what we saw. We're going to discuss it. But after the four officials on ice huddled and talked about what happened on the play, when they arrived at their ruling, it seems logical to me that you'd skate over to the mic and say, the initial call on the ice was that the whistle sounded, the official lost sight of the puck, but it went in unaffected by the whistle under Rule 37.3. This is a continuous play, and we are awarding a goal on the play. They would also, at that point, have the opportunity to have the situation room take a look at it. It's not something that a coach can challenge because there's no missed stoppage on this play, but it is eligible for video review by the situation room. So even if they were going to have them take a look, let's get the call on the ice. Let's have the room take a look and confirm it. And then let's come back and say the situation has confirmed that this goal happened as a result of a continuous play. Then you can go to the benches. But now at least all 20,000 people in attendance and the millions watching at home know what the call on the ice was and what we're actually looking at here. It's it's frustrating because that's what makes fans lose confidence in the rule book and in the league and and not understand why calls go the way they do because they don't get that explanation. It was baffling. I thought for sure, and I kept waiting, when are we going to get the explanation on this? And it came via the NHL to the media, which we put out on, on Twitter, put it out on social media, what it was. Uh, Greg Wyshynski was one of the other first ones to get it out there and what the explanation was. But that came from the NHL's in-game communications department to the media to put it out there. Nothing from the referees, nothing official in the game, which was absolutely frustrating. You're right. I mean, it takes 10 seconds before you get everyone to center ice to drop the puck. Explain what the rule is. I mean, it it's it helps for a greater understanding of the game. This this seems like such a simple procedural thing to me. You're going to tell the coach. You're going to tell both coaches anyway. Why not tell everybody <laughs> yeah. and say, hey, you heard what I just said. What questions do you have? What's, what's wrong with that? And, and no, you can't challenge it. Because at that point, I mean, it's it's settled. You're just explaining it. So why not do it that way? Why not put it out there? I mean, it's it's tough. We can't rely on the rules analysts when it comes to Koharski or Dave Jackson or whoever it is to to handle that because, again, that's just on one broadcast. This needs to be done at the officiating level. We need to have that come out at the game, and it would make it so much clearer for everybody and so much less frustrating. 
Absolutely. Okay, there was a coach who asked for a meeting with a series supervisor in the AHL Calder Cup. It was Hershey coach Todd Nelson who met with the supervisors of the Bears and Coachella Valley Firebird series. He was a little concerned about the nine power play opportunities the Birds had versus the Bears. He thought that number might have been a little askew. He admitted that, you know, his team did take some penalties, but maybe we could just sort of get a bit of an explanation is what he was he was looking for. You had a good piece about this on the scoutingtherest.com website. Yeah, always interesting when you have those interactions between the coaches and the supervisors, and it happens all the time. We know from talking to some of the officiating supervisors in the National Hockey League that those interactions are, are pretty much every game in the conference finals and, and the Stanley Cup finals there where you have coaches or GMs talking with the officiating managers to understand how calls are going or why certain things were handled in, in a specific way. So it's not that uncommon. It's interesting that he actually came out and talked about that, but that's also part of the PR job. You know, you don't want to blame the refs, but look what it did for Hershey. He had the conversation. He understood where the standard was and how the games were going to be called. And then we look at games three and four. Hershey wins both of them. In game three, we're a little even on power plays. Coachella gets uh, goes two for three. Hershey goes two for four. So Hershey with the extra power play there. Game four, we see more of the same. Hershey gets six power plays. Coachella gets four. So all of a sudden, special teams are tipping in Hershey's way. And I'm not saying that the officials did anything differently. I'm saying that maybe... That conversation led to Nelson understanding the standard a little bit better and, and working with his guys and really spending time to say, look, guys, this is what they're cracking down on. These are the type of infractions we saw in game two. We need to tighten up our game. And, and they did exactly that because we've got a talented crew of officials. The, the refs are rotating through. So we do get different refs for each game in the series. And these are all AHL, NHL guys who've worked NHL games this season. But Interesting to see. And, and I think people look at that and say, well, yeah, he, he spoke with the officials and now, boy, he really got them to call the game his way. It's not that. It's that he understood what they're calling. He understood what the standard is and, and how the games are going to be called, which is something that adjusts at the officiating level, too, because those supervisors might have looked at game one and two and said, you guys need to tighten things up. You need to call these infractions a little tighter. They talked to not only those game officials, but the rest that are working the series. And it looks like Hershey has adapted accordingly. So now we've got a, a series that's squared up at 2-2 and makes for a very interesting best of three to wrap up the AHL's Calder Cup final. Communication goes a long way, whichever series and whichever league you're working in. Okay, uh, in the queue, it has become official now that they have significantly increased the penalties for fighting to essentially ban fighting in the QMJHL. In addition to a game misconduct penalty for any player involved in a fight, an automatic one-game suspension for any player declared an instigator in a fight, an additional minimum of a two-game automatic suspension for any player identified as the aggressor. In addition to the game misconduct, an automatic one-game suspension will be imposed once a player has reached his second fight rather than his third the queue is taking bold steps, and there are some that are against this. There are some that are in favor of it. Some are kind of in the middle, but I, I think getting rid of fighting in junior hockey is okay by me. Uh, you know, you don't want to take the physicality out of the game, but we even see in the college hockey level that you can have a physical game. You can have a hard-hitting game without fighting. And when you really consider the age of the players and that this is a developmental league, and we're looking at guys that are hoping to make it to the NHL, you don't need to see injuries, unnecessary injuries, and and have guys where fighting is as much of a component of their game when we see what's happening just naturally at the NHL level. So I think it's the right move. I'm happy to see, especially some of the 
outlier situations like the automatic five game suspension for any player that's an aggressor on a goaltender. So you want to pull the penalties a little tighter there for those situations when goalkeepers are involved. But I think this is just where we're going. And, and I don't think it makes the game any softer. I think it makes the game potentially as hard hitting as it is instead of dropping the gloves to go after him for a fight. You're going to have to take that number, try to hit that guy later on, and hopefully they can keep the physical play clean. And the officials certainly will be keeping an eye out for anything chippy, any cheap shots that would replace what wouldn't possibly be a fight in the past because you'll have players who who aren't really sure on how they want to take out their frustrations in certain situations, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I agree. Now, there was a recent story in the hockey news as well that there is more physical play coming to leagues in Sweden. Women's hockey. Body checking has been allowed in the top two divisions of women's hockey in Sweden. It will now also be permitted, and I think this is most important, it will be taught in junior leagues in Sweden. I think this is an interesting component that's being introduced to the women's game. Yeah, and I think that's the right way to do it. If you're thinking of allowing physical play, and I should say it's this is an NHL-level physical play. There are some hits that will be legal, some that will be illegal, including the north-south open ice hit. So the kind of hit we saw on Kachuk in the Stanley Cup final, that would be an illegal hit in the Swedish Hockey League for the upcoming season. But We've got a physical game. There is body contact that happens that is either incidental contact or in puck battles that often results in a penalty. And sometimes it's hard to decide whether or not that was incidental or whether or not that was a body check. So I think loosening it up a little bit makes a lot of sense. But that point that you've made, Todd, about teaching it is important because while you can just open it up to hitting, I think you'll see a lot of injuries. You'll see people getting hurt. You don't want that. It, it is something that needs to be taught for yourself and uh, the right way to hit your opponent so that you're not creating a dangerous situation for either player, the giver or the receiver of the hit out there on the ice. Okay, I said we were going to wrap up with a rule suggestion, and it's just kind of something I thought of. I think it was in the middle of the night this past week, and I I wrote it down for discussion purposes. So there's long been discussion about whether or not players should be allowed to ice the puck when they are killing a penalty. So my thinking is, when you make this change, I've got this new spin on it. So if a team is killing the penalty okay, and they ice the puck and it's no longer allowed, there is no pursuit allowed of the puck by either team. The team with the power play, their goaltender retrieves the puck, fires it back up to one of their teammates, play continues. No whistle, no face-off, no intercepting the pass from the goalie, nothing. You just keep playing. Your goalie fires it back up and away you go again. Ooh, this is this is an interesting one. So you you can't even go back to retrieve it yourself. You, you've nope. got to let the goalie play it. Okay. Speed it up. Wow. Speed it up. Not only speeding it up, but, but putting a premium on those stick-handling goaltenders. You, you, Todd, have inverted the trapezoid and made the goalie have to come out and play the puck. <laughs> I, I like this. I always love wandering goaltenders. It's one of my favorite things about hockey because they often get themselves into trouble out there. So... I, I like it. So do you do you keep both teams in the attacking zone or can they not go back beyond center ice? How how far do they go when, when you get the puck iced there? How should it work? Uh, well, I think you got to stay inside the blue line. It's right. just fire the puck back up and away we go. You know, I, I like it. I think this falls in line with a, a suggestion that we had a while back that someone had brought up on, you know, why do we have so many face-offs when you have a team on the power play? Why not do it? And it's, it's funny because it's similar to yours. You know, just take it backcourt like you're in basketball, keep everybody up there and you just you get to re-enter the zone. So 
I think this is a very aggressive way to do that. I think it's a lot of fun because you've got the goaltender <laughs> forced to stick handle the puck a little bit. You know, maybe we let the attacking team come back to the red line. But if uh, if you have to stay in the offensive zone, then this is going to make for this would potentially make for a good situation because the attacking presence is still there. The defenders get a little bit of a reprieve, but uh, a tight turnaround if they want to change. So I, I think it puts the premium on stick handling goaltenders, which I like. I, I like the focus on the skill part of the game, Todd, and this would absolutely do that. And there would definitely be more scoring. We're done! Good job! You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay! That's it. Nicely done. That's good work.